Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Sunday, January 6th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 296 featuring Celtics radio analyst Cedric Maxwell is brought to you by Robinhood. Get a free stock when you sign up at celtics.robinhood.com. Hey, welcome into a new edition of Celtics Beat. First time in 2019, and there is a lot going on with this team. Kyrie Irving and Marcus Morris battling through injuries. We know Aaron Baines is still out. The defense desperately misses him. Jalen Brown playing better. Terry Rozier loves starting. Gordon Hayward probably wishes he could face the Timberwolves every single night, and inconsistency continues as we approach the midpoint of the season. So, Happy New Year, right? Celtics radio analyst and former NBA Finals MVP Cedric Maxwell with me. You can hear him across the Seas radio network, and he is kind enough to join me on this show a few times a year as well. Max, how are you, man? No, I'm doing fine. All those things you said, other than that, everybody's still alive. Okay, great. You spent uh, New Year's on a plane. I hope you're not a big watch-the-ball-at-midnight guy. No, no. I think once you get older, I mean, you, those years start coming around. You're not looking forward to just, okay, let's go to the next one. No, let's just load this puppy up a little bit. So, uh, you know, being on the plane and uh, coming back here, getting here late at night, that's kind of what we do. And you sign up for that as, a, uh, as an analyst, as a player, people around this game. I always love your stories. What's the wildest New Year's Eve you can remember? Mm, man. The wildest New Year's Eve that I remember and team-wise and I can tell you about uh, actually <laughs> was, uh, I want to say like 1980, Larry's Larry Bird's first year here. Larry, I think Kevin's first year too. I mean, Larry's first year. Uh, no, it was Larry's second year. And uh, Larry and I went out and I, I challenged Larry Bird to a drinking contest. Okay. And we were in Salt Lake City, Utah. And, man, I drank, tried to drink with Larry, and he drinks like a fish. And next thing I know, I was on the side of the road in Salt Lake City <laughs> feeding the animals. I was so sick. <laughs> do remember that well. And the next day we played Utah, they had these bright colors. They were purple and green back in the day. And the fluorescent uh, light that hit the floor hit me in the eyes and oh my god it felt like I was being blinded so that was that was one of the craziest nights I remember for New Year's Eve and being with the team and being with the fellows see anybody can go look that up now go to basketball reference check out the box score but do you remember how you played in that game 
You know what? I don't know. You know, it's one of those, you know, normally I remember games. I remember doing okay, but I don't remember playing well. It was just like, I just felt like I was in between. I have to go back and look that up myself. I'm going to look it up while I'm on the on the horn with you right now. I'm going to look it up. So you think it was it was early '80s? It was like early '80s. I want to say it was like 19, probably like 1980. Yeah, I want to think because we because we bought the new Urien for whatever reason. We were in Salt Lake City, and um, it might have been '80, might have even been '81 because it seemed like I remember Kevin McHale being there. So it could have been. Larry's second year, I think, second or third. When did Larry Kevin came second or third year? But I think that was the time it happened. I found it. New New Year's Day, Salt Lake City for the Celtics. It was 1983. 1983. Oh, okay. You're in Utah. You played. Okay. Uh, you played 22 minutes. You shot four out of six. So I mean, you you might have been hung over, but you could see the rim at least. And uh, <laughs> and and you had you had nine points, four rebounds, three assists. Oh, did we win the game? Uh, let's see. That is the most important thing, right? You you won the game. I was a contributor, but in, in a light way. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I won the blowout too. One twenty-seven, one twelve. Oh, okay. But okay. all right, enough of memory lane for the people out there. They want to hear about this team in two thousand nineteen and what to expect and all that stuff. And let's go to some individuals. Let's begin with Gordon Hayward because multiple thirty-point outings about a month apart against Minnesota, but eleven mm-hmm. games in between, Max. Fewer than nine points, four rebounds, four assists per on very poor shooting as well. This yeah. right here is is what he said after his thirty five point night on where he's trending. As the season goes on, I think I'm, my movement is getting better. I think there's still so many things to work on. I mean, just in two games, you know, night and day. So consistency is it's going to be huge to have. Not necessarily games like this all the time, but just games where I'm aggressive and attack um, as opposed to being passive. So have you seen enough of the good moments to believe he's going to return to where he was pre-injury in time for the playoffs? Well, I'm starting to see it, and and I think it's increments, bit by bit. I remember when I was hurt uh, late in my career here with Boston, uh, I wanted to say 1985, um, and I played. A, I was out for about 20 games. I played a game against, came back and played against uh, Detroit Pistons in the playoffs. And I had, I don't know, 25 points, some, a really good game. And everybody said I was back. I knew I wasn't back. <laughs> I was like, no, no, I'm not back. My body was telling me that. I think everybody said the same thing when Gordon Haywood played that huge game against Minnesota. The first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first time when he had 30 points. There was a difference between those two games, dramatic difference. The difference was there was no Kyrie Irving. The difference was that Gordon Haywood took over that game, and he wasn't being spoon-fed, but he controlled the game. He was being a facilitator late in the game. There were several times early in that basketball game. I remember, I remember uh, saying loudly on the air, "Gordon had the ball under the basket." And I was like, "He passed it to somebody else." I was like, "Shoot the ball, Gordon!" And I'm not sure if he just kind of went through him and hit him. But he got back to making plays for himself. So it was night and day between those those thirty two those thirty point games and that thirty point game he had, the last one versus Utah. I mean versus Minnesota. That was a game where he became a facilitator. He was in control. He wasn't being spoon fed. 
he made plays on his own. And that is when you start to see a guy kind of round in the corner. Well, and it really is, it's the little things. I know I don't need to explain that to you, but it's the little things that we, and when I say we, I mean the fans or people who didn't play the game like yourself don't necessarily understand. Like you listen to Hayward after the game and he talks about how well he's doing laterally in terms of his movement, but still needs to work on his vertical movement, still needs to you know, work on some of that comfort. And you can see in some of these games the comfort jumping off of one foot, jumping off of, of either ankle, whether he has soreness after the fact, what's his playmaking ability because let's be real you know unless you're an NBA junkie and you got league pass and all that pre-Gordon Hayward coming to Boston short of people watching highlight reels on YouTube not a lot of people were staying up late and watching Utah Jazz games they didn't recognize what it was that Gordon Hayward can bring to the table here in Boston the problem is we still don't know short of these flashes because of that injury and Mm -hmm. there is that great potential you and I have had this discussion before about his two-way ability and and where that sits him on this team in terms of the overall hierarchy, who's the best all-around player. And we know what Gordon Hayward can be. I just wonder, you know, will he get back to that point, and, and how quickly can it realistically happen? It could happen this year. I mean, if you think about glimpses and seeing things the way it happened, and I think it helped out a lot uh, in the last game because Kyrie wasn't there. Kyrie is ball dominant. Mm-hmm. And that's not a that's not a bad thing, but when you think about a guy like Gordon Hayward, who had multiple touches, has to make plays on his own, smart player, aggressive. You saw all those instincts come to light in the second half of that game, and because of that, I felt so much better about watching him play and his progression. He will get back to being this great player. You know, he just, but like Sean Grandy said, my broadcast partner, he said, it's going to click in that he believes that he's Gordon Haywood. Right now, just, oh, that's his name. Mm -hmm. But you have to believe that you're that player that the Celtics coveted, that most of the league was afraid of. So Gordon Haywood was a problem. One of the things that I talked to Brad Stevens when you first got Gordon Haywood, He told me during the exhibition season after it was over last year, he said, Max, I found out what I'm going to do in late games. I'm going to use Gordon Haywood and Kyrie Irving in pick-and-roll situations. Hmm. Well, you didn't even get five minutes of that, Hmm. you know, before Gordon Haywood went down. So these things now I think are going to come true, and I think you also have to look at the patience of the Celtics, the patience of Brad, and the way, and, and also the courage of watching the guy come back from an injury and trying to believe in himself. Tom Westerholm from Mass Live had a column a couple of days ago about this story how Marcus Smart was egging Hayward on in practice right before he went off in that game against the Wolves the second time. We know that teammates, coaches, executives, owners, everyone has praised Smart for years for his intensity, aggressiveness, defense, attitude, you name it. I know Smart's the longest-tenured member of this team. He's certainly not the best player on this team. But is he in some ways the unofficial captain of this group? I think that you're right in that way. I think that he has has taken over that mantle as the emotional captain and leader of this team. 
when you watch him and, and some of the things he said when the Celtics lost early on, he said about being aggressive, about playing 100%. You know, he is that guy who leads by example, and guys follow that same lead. When you see Marcus, he's just a winner. There are a lot of times when people will scream about, oh, my God, he's shooting too much or he's shot and that. Forget about that. Marcus Smart makes more great plays without the basketball than anybody I think I've ever seen on this team. When it comes to all that, too, like Marcus Smart, and, and he has had his success playing alongside Kyrie Irving and, and starting here and there, obviously, as well. But another guy who's been, as we know, very limited in his opportunities to start because of Kyrie, Terry Rozier. And I, I'm not the least bit surprised, Max, that Rozier has played well in his opportunities to start because, and I've said this for a long while, maybe I've said it to you before, he's not a microwave player. He needs to get into the flow and rhythm of the game. He needs to play 30-plus minutes. The numbers certainly bear it out, whether last year in a, a large sample size, this year in a very yeah. small one, just a few starts. Do you agree that Rozier has to start to be effective, or do you think he can be a valuable reserve for this group? I think he can be a valuable reserve, but he has to know how to fit himself into it. A lot of guys are, you know, want to be starters and get starters minutes because you kind of ease into the game. There were times when I saw him get limited minutes that he forced shots. He was trying to do things, trying to be overly aggressive because he knew he was coming out. He has a very, very tough job. When you start playing behind the ace, or it'd be like playing behind Tom Brady. You know, where are your opportunities going to come in? You know, uh, that is where he is, unfortunately. And, yeah, everybody knows he can play. Everybody knows that he would be much better if he could get 30 minutes a game. But on this team, unfortunately, he's not going to get those kind of minutes because of those guys who are ahead of him. Whenever Terry plays well, too, and you hear this, I'm sure. I know you don't feel this way, but you hear it. You see a segment of fans say, see, we don't need Kyrie Irving. <laughs> this, you know, it was, this, was, this was going on throughout the playoff run last year when the team overachieved without Irving, without Hayward. It was, you know, get rid of both those contracts and build around Terry and, and the young guys, and you got Brown and Tatum and blah, blah, blah. We know that's nuts. You need Kyrie Irving to win a championship. He has hit the biggest shot in NBA Finals history, but – there's no disputing, and you brought this up before, the ball movement appears much better at times when he's not in the lineup. Kyrie is very ball dominant. Is that because guys are, are too deferential to him offensively? What do you attribute it to? I think because he's a, he's a ball dominant guy. Uh, you know, there are times when he will get into modes where, you know, he'll come off the dribble, they'll put him in pick and rolls. Now, he makes great decisions, uh, but I think the ball does slow down when it's in Kyrie's hands. Uh, but that's the way Kyrie Irving plays. He's a great player. I mean, remember how great Magic Johnson was. Mm-hmm. Magic Johnson was a ball-dominant guard. The ball stood in his hand, and he made those decisions. Kyrie Irving is the same way. He's a ball-dominant guard, and he makes those kind of decisions. You see guys in this league right now, and this is what this league has come down to. When you look at Steph Curry, Steph Curry, ball dominant. Now, they've moved the ball maybe a little bit more after, you know, the pick and rolls and the ball movement. Um, James Harden, I don't even like to watch him play, but he's a great dominant ball player. 
So the game has changed a lot now where you have guys now in these pick-and-roll situations, being ball-dominant and making their making those decisions. Yeah, I don't need to see Harden go to the free-throw line 27 times in a game. That's that's not my kind of basketball. <laughs> I totally agree with you. I mean, after watching him, it was – and I realize he's a great player and it works for them. But here's the thing that's the most amazing thing to me. Thinking about the kind of players that they had in OKC, mm-hmm. yeah. Westbrook, Harden, Durant, Serge Ibaka, Jeff Green, uh, Jeremy Lamb, um, Reggie Jackson. Oh, my God, that is one of the most amazing young teams that they could not keep together because of the salary cap. But I can't even imagine how the ball was popping or, or who <laughs> didn't get the ball in those situations. Well, and they were too young. They were too young. They weren't ready to win. You know, those guys hadn't obviously seen their potential. I and mean, you're talking about a, a few MVPs in those first few that you mentioned. It, it really is incredible. I hate breaking from Max. We'll get right back to him. Today's show brought to you by Robinhood. Never a bad time to start thinking about your investment portfolio, whether you're looking to buy or sell stocks, crypto, ETFs. Make sure that you sign up for Robinhood. And I know markets can be complicated, but Robinhood makes everything easy for you. Robinhood's going to build you your own customized news feed right when you sign up. They sort certain stocks for you in different collections like the 100 most popular or social media, pharmaceutical. You'll learn more about it as you go along. Get started today. Sign up is extremely easy. All it takes is four taps on your phone to start trading. Best part, Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. You keep all your profits. Robinhood's giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, Sprint to help you build your portfolio at sign up. So get there. Celtics.robinhood.com. That's Celtics.robinhood.com. All right, back to Max. On Terry, you and I, this this is just what we get to do. We get to banter, but we're not the decision makers. We know how important depth is, but does it make sense for Danny Ainge to trade Terry before he can walk away for nothing? No, it really doesn't. Because in this situation, if you're the Celtics right now, what, what do you have? To, are you more concerned right now with the future or you're more concerned with the right now? What would happen if, in fact, Kyrie Irving, who's often been injured, goes down again? Mm-hmm. You have that ace in the hole. You have that guy you can go to who can play at a very, very high level as we saw him do. So I think there are, there are times when you say, well, you know what? I, myself, I hope Terry is in a situation that he's able to play 30 minutes. Does Danny make a move to, to trade him? What are you trading him for? So I, I think that, you know, you you use your pieces and eventually, if there's something that comes up, you make that move. But right now, I would not trade Terry Rozier. Well, and to that same end, another guy who can and I expect will walk, Marcus Morris. He's been incredibly Ooh. valuable to this team. He's been Boston's most consistent player aside from Irving, maybe more consistent in a lot of ways. It's hard to imagine where the seas would be without him, and I don't even want to think about that. Owner Wick Grosbeck reiterated the Boston Globe last week, the group is willing to do what it takes to roster a winning team. He said that for years. Should they pay to keep him this summer? I would love to see him kept here. He is, without question this year, the most surprising player, their most consistent player. And more than anything, he's my favorite player Hmm. on this team because of his attitude, his cockiness, his grit, his determination. Him getting up in guys' face. In this league, you don't see guys. 
get up in the other guy's face or in their mug and treat and treat the opposition the way I like to see the opposition being treated because that's why they're the opposing team. When you watch him play, you know, he asks for no quarter and he gives no quarter. Hmm. And and I love that. He doesn't have the next guy's phone number trying to call this guy up and say, hey, let's go out <laughs> to have lunch or let's have dinner or, you know, I, I'll give you a call a little bit later on after the game. I think he, he might not even have his brother's phone number. I, I'm not sure because <laughs> he, he just seems like that kind of guy at the end. He's so single-focused-minded about the way he plays. I didn't think – I thought of all the guys this year who were going to take a back seat. I thought it might be him because I just didn't see where those minutes were going to come. Mm -hmm. But he's gotten consistent minutes. He has been the most – I would say he's been the most consistent player they've had, shooting the basketball from the outside, being aggressive, hitting big shots, rebounding the basketball. There were so many things he's able to do as a player that, you know, I just – I love his determination. Well, and he's worked on that three-point efficiency, sort of abandoned the mid-range jumpers from last year, which is great. But was that a little subtle shot at Kyrie getting Joel Embiid's phone number after that Sixers game? <laughs> I, you know, no, I didn't even know he got it. <laughs> I, I, I really don't like it. I, I mean, I don't understand, again, how you're going to – I see a lot of these guys practicing and working out together. I wouldn't do that because – I'm showing you my best move. So you're watching me every day. We're working out together. So you're able to counter that move. Mm -hmm. So I I don't particularly like the idea about playing, you know, working out with guys. I can understand playing against them during the summer uh, for a competition and, and, you know, keeping your game sharp. But just to say, you know, we're going to work out together. We're going to take shots together. We're going to work on our footwork. And I'm not doing that with other guys during the league. I never did as a player. Well, I guess the problem along those lines is so many of these guys have the same trainers, and so they do work out together and go through drills together and, and develop those friendships, and maybe that last part's okay for recruiting and all that. Look, there's a million trainers all over the, the world. So you don't have to have the same trainer. Mm-hmm. You know, all this thing about, you know, we got the same guy, we're working out. No, you don't need the same guy. Well, if you do have the same guy, work out at a different time. So that's how I believe in, in, in the game. And, you know, I, I see guys, and when I have that healthy um, disrespect for another team, that to me was fantastic. That's how I felt about the Lakers. That's how I felt about, you know, Philly. I mean, even right now, I can barely shake a guy from Philadelphia's hand you know, or somebody <laughs> from L.A. If a person comes up to me and say, hey, man, I'm from Los Angeles, I just pull my hand back. Oh, whoa, whoa, you're from L.A.? Okay, man. Even when I was went out there this summer, I happened to be out there a little bit and saw people out there, and they would see me, and they were like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're out here. <laughs> and you played in L.A., not for the Lakers, but, you know, you were uh, you were out there. I got I got booed when I was out there. When I went to the Clippers, <laughs> all my teammates got cheered. They introduced me my first game with the – with the Clippers when I was playing there, I got royally booed. So I was I, I was never a fan favorite any time in Los Angeles. Nor a favorite of the fans, obviously. You know, yeah. on, on the subject of working out, Jalen Brown, who'd he work out with over the summer? I think it was Tracy McGrady. He's played uh, significantly better in these games after Christmas, shooting very well. It's, so mm-hmm. it's it's not just scoring. He's, he's actually got that shooting rate up. We 
know he's been banged up. He's he's had the injury. He's seemingly been in his own head quite a bit this year. Do mm-hmm. you think he's turned a corner, though? It looks like they're all turning the corner. And the best thing about it is you would rather for them to struggle now than to struggle in the playoffs. The later sure. it gets in the season, the more aggressive, the more in tune you want to see your players. And I think that seems to be the case as, you know, early this year, it was there were bits, there were pieces. One guy would play well, another guy wouldn't play well. Uh, and they even started with the first game of the season, um, first exhibition game. Uh, we played it. The game was in uh, at Chapel Hill. And I watched them for the first quarter, and they were. I was like, I was watching the ball movement. I was watching the shots. I was watching how aggressive they were. And they went up, like, by 25 points. And all of a sudden, they just stopped playing. And that seems to be a case a couple of times this year when they have just stopped playing. They've had huge leads. And all of a sudden, they just take their foot off the gas. They have to continue to put their foot on somebody's throat until that person doesn't move anymore. You know, if you jump into the analytics, the advanced metrics, Max, the Celtics, they're a top 10 offensive team, a top five defensive team, top five net rating, top 10 in effective field goal percentage. Does it surprise you they aren't even a top four team in the East, at least in regard to the standings? How about let's put all those analytics in the trash can? Okay. How about that? That's the, that's all right. Toilet, okay? Yeah. I'm, I'm more about what's in the guy's chest. Uh, you know, you can tell how a guy competes. And, yeah, analytics, there are things about it which, you know, which are cool. Uh, I understand that. But to me, it's like, you know, people using analytics and saying, well, I'd rather have a, I'd rather have a, a three attempt a three than, you know, a two. Well, here's the thing I always tell people about that, and I'm not sure if they do the analytics on it. If I score around the basket, which that was my home, and I I can tell you a lot about this. If I score around the basket, I'm pretty devastated because, one, I was getting a higher percentage shot. Mm -hmm. I had an opportunity to get a rebound if I missed my shot. And the biggest thing, I had an opportunity to get a guy in foul difficulty. And when you get in foul difficulty, the guy was not going to hurt you anymore. So, you know, we can talk about those shots, but to me, again, it's the, those shots, and somebody just gets too carried away with the analytics of the game instead of watching the true nature of how games are won and lost on very small plays. There are so many people saying, and and to some degree you as well, because you believe a lot of these guys, whether it's Brown, Hayward, maybe Rozier, if if his confidence is renewed from starting when he gets back to the benches, he obviously will sooner than later, that they've turned a corner. There are a lot of people saying they'll be fine come the playoffs. They'll be fine. I guess I'm wondering, I mean, why? Because there's so much talent. What evidence have we seen so far in the first half of the year, just about, is there that they'll be fine? Well, I think one of the things you see is you do. You're starting to see um, a concentrated effort of their talent coming together. And if they're healthy, if you can, if Gordon Haywood gets back to being Gordon Haywood that the Celtics signed or some close, somewhere close in there, that gives you that other guy to control the basketball, to make plays, to hit crucial shots. That's going to be a key. If they stay healthy, you can see right now by having Aaron Baines out, that big brick wall that he is as a, as a player helps them out immensely when you think about playing against a guy like Joel Embiid. 
because that's the one guy that Embiid is not going to go through or push him towards the hole if he when he comes back from his hand injury. So I like the combination that I see. I just the biggest thing I say is the consistency of this team. That's what they have to do. It's you know like having a great cake. You know if you put too much of this in it or put too much of that in it, you know sometimes it doesn't work. The Celtics' talent level is so high that sometimes it seems like it just doesn't mesh together. One of the best moves that Brad Stevens made this year was inserting Marcus Smart into the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, well, why, why is that? Why is that? The reason why, because he's a facilitator, and he does not need the ball to be better. When you had Gordon Hayward starting, and you had Brown and, and Tatum and, and Al Horford and Kyrie Irving, most of those guys need the ball to be effective. When Marcus Smart got into the lineup, that eliminated a lot of pressure and gave up shots to other people and opportunities around the hole. So there's some things that happen with this team which are really, really good and are going to be outstanding for the years going forward. Do you still work out a lot? Absolutely not. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm asking that. No, what I do, what I do a lot, I – I have been in Boston now. This is my 22nd year as a broadcaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't owned a car in 22 years being back here. So a lot of times I walk. I walk every place I go in Boston. A lot of people see me. I live right downtown Boston. A lot of people see me downtown mm-hmm. in Boston. And so I do a lot of walking. Uh, there, uh, Periodically I get back into those modes where, you know, we all get back to the gym. But I know – that this year is my my claim again to get back in the gym to to get back into a, a, a beach body for this <laughs> summer. So that, yeah, I that do. faulty New Year's resolution. Yeah, yeah, we all have them. That's why the gym is always full that first yep. week after you know after New Year's, and then all of a sudden the drop off. So I'm waiting maybe for about two weeks before I go back to the gym again consistently because all the machines will be freed in. Yeah, it'll empty out within a month for sure. But I'm asking because, I mean, you're you're a big guy vertically, but you're not a big guy horizontally, and you talk about food all the time, and you're eating food, at least according to Grandy, pretty frequently in and around the radio as well. And I, I'm just wondering how it is that you do stay so slender. Well, I think that my metabolism is still pretty fast. I, I said do a lot of walking. Yeah. Uh, drink a lot of water. Um, uh, you know, I try to watch kind of what I eat. I try not to eat, you know, real late at night or eat a lot of, you know, I'm a, a sweet junkie. Uh, <laughs> people, ask me, people ask me about being a broadcaster, how I do so well sometimes. or come up with these crazy lines that I might use. And I always tell people, you put your brain on Pepsi and Dippin' Docs in the game. It's like jet fuel, man. Your, your mind <laughs> someplace that you wouldn't even think is, it is. So uh, I, I do still enjoy, you know, and I and then I'm a clothes horse. Yeah. So, uh, so I can't, you know, blow up because if I do, that won't fit in those suits anymore. Again, yeah. So I I still love uh, I love the the art of dressing, and I've been doing that since I first got in the league, and even now, even more so now. I almost wish our players were more like that now because when I first got in the league, I followed the, the, the theme of JoJo White mm-hmm. and Charlie Scott and guys like that who were great dressers. Uh, when I first came with the Celtics, that was one of the rules that we had. Anytime you were on an airplane, you had to have a jacket on, sports jacket or suit or turtleneck. You had to be 
more like dressed up going out in the public. So I, I wish our players were like that. I understand it's a new generation, but uh, still, I think I carried that on. Yeah, now you just got people, you know, the the Westbrooks of the world and Hardens and LeBron, whoever Ooh. showing up in a leopard print crap. And it, yeah, it's a, everyone's going for a fashion statement, but it's not the same one that you guys were going for. No, it, I think that some of you know the things that Harden and Westbrook, some of the stuff they were, uh, that's that's just shocking. I mean, <laughs> it, it, I've I've seen sometimes and see some of the things that you know, and I always tell guys because you know they have some of the greatest bodies in the world. Less is more. All they have to put on is a nice dark suit that's fitted well, shoes that shine, a good white shirt, nice ties and cufflinks. You are set. You know, we never saw that. One of the best dresses we always saw that people talked about was James Bond. Yeah. James Bond never have nothing flashy on. He always tell him, had, a, had a nice dark suit on, shoes will always shine, you know, white shirt, everything was crisp, cufflinks, nice watch. That is, you know, just a classic look that, you know, I like to go for, and I wish more of our players went for. Max, I'm going to have you listen to a couple of things here and then get all sorts of opinions from you. But I'm sure you heard some of this last week. LeBron James, quite a statement on ESPN, uh, one of their ESPN Plus shows while reflecting upon his championship in Cleveland. I was super, super ecstatic to win one for Cleveland because of the 52-year drought. Like, I was ecstatic. The first wave of emotion was when y'all, everyone saw me crying. Like, that was all for 52 years, everything in sports going on in Cleveland. And then after I stopped, I was like, that one right there made you the greatest player of all time. All right, so that made people question whether <laughs> Michael Jordan would ever say the same thing. So someone dug up this 2009 interview with Mike Wilbon when Jordan was asked about the GOAT label. When I hear it, I cringe a little bit because, you know, it's, it's a little bit embarrassing because if you ask me, I'm, I would never say that I, I'm the greatest player. You know, And that's because I never played against all, all the people that represented the league prior to Michael Jordan. All right, so I'll first tell you this, Max, and Kevin McHale, your old teammate, he called LeBron's comments disrespectful to those who came before him along the same lines of what Jordan was talking about. Uh, I don't believe that I don't believe a word out of Jordan's mouth. I think in privacy, he absolutely believes that he's the greatest player of all time. But the fact that he was at least, you know, handled it the right way, you know, was humbled enough. Plus, it's it's a big difference when someone calls you the greatest and you either accept or deflect or whatever versus calling yourself the greatest and so lebron he just it's moments like these that don't do lebron james any favors i think you're right about that but didn't we hear muhammad ali say that he was the greatest yeah but he said that even before he did anything that was like his whole shtick and then he proved it i mean he proved but lebron james is on a short list i mean and it's a new era now where people are self-promoting and i don't have a problem with it i think matter of fact in my opinion i think he is maybe the greatest player of the play because of what he's able to do. But I do agree with Kevin McHale and Isaiah and having some humility mm-hmm. about yourself that sometimes other people let other people say that for you, but he was on the show and probably somebody asked him a question and he said about 52 years. I'm like, I'm thinking of doing the math. I'm like, wait a minute, you're only 37 years old. How <laughs> you know all this history about Cleveland? <laughs> yeah, well, he's, right. he's but, like those Boston but, fans that are 50 that absorbed the 86-year curse of the Red Sox. Yeah, so that that was kind of that was kind of funny. But to me, how many names do we go by before we get 
to LeBron James if you're talking about one of the greatest players. Yeah, it's is a short there, list. Are, are there – is it more than five? Is it more than three that you look at? But it's a new era and it's a new time. And athletes, uh, actors, uh, people, politicians are self-promoting. I mean, there's, there's a gentleman down in Washington, D.C. <laughs> having to be the president of the United States. Self-promoting. People do that all the time. So I think it's a new era and a new time. I, I felt a little <clears throat> strange listening to that with him saying it. But at the same time, it's kind of hard to get away from that argument. And the argument he also was talking about was he said about being a GOAT, he said, wow, look what I was able to do against what was the greatest team of all times in Golden State being down 3-1. What an accomplishment that was. And even with that, he still didn't do that by himself because he had Kyrie Irving. Yeah, he, he didn't hit the winning shot. One of the biggest shots. But you put LeBron James, his statement in that was what kind of block shot was that he made? Mm-hmm. That shows his versatility as a player that, to me, makes him possibly the greatest because I think he is a better defender right now than Michael Jordan, better rebounder, and better, better facilitator. Uh, obviously, has to be a better three-point shooter now because – the three-point shot is such a weapon. So there are a lot of things about his game to me which, you know, put him on, put him above maybe where Michael Jordan was at. If you had to, and I'm asking you to do it on the fly and, and not put a whole lot of thought into it, and like you said, LeBron's in the conversation, but who's, no, what's, what's that right top few list look guy. like? No, one guy I would go with automatically, that would be Elijah Wan. Uh, and the reason I say Elijah huh. Wan is the best player that I ever played with and played against is because of what he was able to do and watching him. He dominated the game on both ends of the floor better than anybody I've ever seen. And you think about that. He was a better defender than Russell. I mean, be- just as good a defender as Russell, but better offensive player than Russell. He was – he was – you look at the way he did it. There's some stats that he had, which he had like, I think he's only a handful of guys in this league who've ever had like the quadruple double. I played a game with him when my last in the league, and it was, I want to say, a Seattle in the playoffs. 42, 26, 8, and 8 in a hmm. playoff game. That's insane. And, you know, the things he was able to do. You name me a player right now that has dominated both ends of the floor better than he did. Now, you think about Jordan offensively, yes, better player. But he didn't dominate the way Akeem Olajuwon dominated on the defensive end. He was a, a Akeem was just a beast. I mean, he, to me, is that player that, you know, people don't look at, other than you're a Houston Rocket fan or some hardcore basketball fans, really know how good Akeem Olajuwon was. No, legend. You're right about that. You know, I'd be very curious to see where he'd fit into today's NBA, just because, as we know, that low post presence, you know, that guy that is is a dinosaur today. You have to be able to, to float out to the well, arc me, to shoot me, from three, all that. Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. What would, what would uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar fit in the game today? 
Well, and that's that's to the point. I mean, I, I think that's to really to Jordan's point, to so many people's points about how it's it's so difficult to determine a, a quote, quote unquote, greatest ever a goat because you're trying to compare eras and the game is so different now than it was before when some yeah. of those other guys, the the Bill Russells, the Jerry West, the like you said, the Kareem's, the Hakeem's, the uh, all these guys were playing in. I mean, even Jordan and obviously Jordan would fit in just fine in this era, but it's a different era. Yeah, it, it really is. I think because everybody has to have the three-point shot in their arsenal, and I think that's what makes it so great when you look at a guy like Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is that Millennium Player now that had, is long. He's a seven seven footer. He shoots the three. He runs the floor. He blocks shots. You know, if he's not he's if he's not one of the if he's not the the first player you think about in this league, he's the second player you think about in this league. And now you look where the game is evolving, uh, and now you have the Greek freak. So the game is just, you know, has changed in a way now that I don't even understand it in, in just watching it. Towns, Chris Stapps, all the, you know, all these guys the, in terms of the bigs, you're, you're right about And I'm just glad, by the way, that – and sort of a running gag for people who listen to this show that, – that I'm not the one who brought up Anthony Davis amidst all the things that are going on in New Orleans. There's no, no Davis trade talk on this particular show. We know it can't happen for – well, before July anyway. And, uh, but it is, it is interesting, Max, before I let you go, just seeing that, that uh, he is frustrated in New Orleans. This wasn't the case yeah. last year when they were winning, when they were arguably overachieving. He's now upset, and it's going to be very interesting to see whether or not he accepts that Supermax contract when it's uh, offered to him, if it's offered to him. Yeah, that's going to be very interesting there because players like that kind of force their way out, and they'll tell the team that they're not going to, they're not going to sign an extension, and they have to be moved. Uh, you saw that uh, several times. You think about some of the guys who have moved around over the years who said, nah, I'm, I'm not signing that new deal, so you're going to have to make a move to trade me. And uh, Carmelo is one of those guys you think about who did that in Denver mm-hmm. and moved to other, other pastures. But Well, Kawhi just recently, among others. Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. Yeah. All and, George. So, so, so guys in the NBA, more, a lot more than when I played, Control where, when they want, where they want to play. Anthony Davis, obviously, you think about it, how good he would make this team if you add another piece like that with a Kyrie and the young players you have. But how much talent would you have to lose right. if, in fact, you had Anthony Davis? You know, and I'll tell you a quick funny thing. I was talking. Um, uh, Jason Tatum's dad came up to me one day, and I had been on. Um, Comcast doing, and they asked me by Anthony Davis, and they said, "Would you trade? Um, you know, would you trade for Anthony Davis, and would Jason Tatum be one of those guys in, involved in the trade?" And I said, "All day, <laughs> you know, I would trade for him all day long." And uh, Jason Tatum's dad came to me uh, a couple of days later and said, "Man, I got a bone to pick with you." I was like, "What?" He said. Um, you said you'd trade my, my son for Anthony Davis. I said, and? And he said, <laughs> well, I probably would trade him too if he wasn't my son. <laughs> so I think, that, I think that you have to look at that everything would be on the table. If you could get a guy like that, even I talked to um, you know, uh, Tatum and told him that story about his dad and stuff. He said, 
yeah, I trade me too for Anthony Davis. <laughs> so I think everybody knows how great Anthony Davis, but the cost that you would, it would take you to get him probably would be those guys like Tatum and Brown and Rozier, the future of your basketball club. See, there you go. To, to my producers listening, that's the headline for today's show. Jason Tatum's dad would trade Jason Tatum to the Pelicans for there Anthony Davis. Ja- Jason Absolutely. Tatum would trade Jason Tatum to the Pelicans for Anthony Davis. Yeah, no, it's it's true. It's true. Cedric Maxwell, radio voice of uh, of the Celtics radio analyst alongside Sean Grandy. Always fun. Always a pleasure, Max. We'll do it again before the season's out. All right. Thank you very much, man. That right there. That's a fun way to start off 2019. See, we started off with a great story. Max getting hammered on New Year's Eve, and we land on Jason Tatum trading himself for Anthony Davis and a whole lot in between. I encourage you to go back, enjoy if you missed anything, and uh, with that, we're going to get out of here. Today's show brought to you by Robinhood. Get a free stock when you sign up at Celtics.RobinHood.com. Thanks to my producer, Evan Valenti. Thanks, of course, to Max for hopping on again. It's guy just he, he cracks me up. Thanks to Nick, to Larry, to John, everybody at CLNS Media, and, of course, you. Thanks for uh, always finding us on – you can get me on Twitter, at Adam M. Kaufman. You can find us on iTunes. Just search Celtics Beat. Subscribe. We appreciate it. Leave a review, a rating, whatever it is. Find us on Stitcher, on YouTube, on the CLNS channel, and find great – sound there pre-game post-game a whole lot of analysis clips from other celtics related shows and other sports for that matter as well again happy new year to you hope 2019 is good to you healthy fun enjoyable prosperous and equally so for the boston celtics gives us a lot to talk about get us out of here gino Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcast. Or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.